Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joseph Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, over the last couple of casts, we've been having a conversation about the family unit. The last one being kind of about the divorce and, and when things go wrong. And obviously what's spurring this is me getting preparation for my marriage here in a couple of months. And one of the things I want to do before we start this cast is thank you for for basically teaching me in ways that I, I hadn't known, um, particularly about all of the elements around the, the sexuality and contraception side of things. Because um, in preparation for this, looking up a bunch of stats, and also in coordination with getting ready for marriage, seeing just the outcomes of society, uh, there was a study that was done looking at data going all the way back to 1964 to 2014, so a 50-year span. And over that point of time, in 1964, in America, only 5% of children were born to single mothers. And in 2014, it's 40%. So you have a 35% increase in five years with them proving during this study that economic income in terms of cash flow of the father does not deter the marriage so it does not deter people from getting married so kind of looking at that realistically the answer that I'm drawn to is is this conversation that we've been going on about contraception and flat out people not getting married seem to be the two answers to, to, to that that equation I just want to thank you for, for teaching me about this because when I started uh, back in the day, I had down abortion bad. Easy, straightforward, that's murder, got it. And didn't really have the backdrops to why the rest of it was, why, why being on contraception was a problem. And admittedly growing up, you know, there was points when I thought that, yeah, this is awesome, I'm not gonna worry about anything. But slowly, over time, looking at it, go, this isn't really the answer. And there was something that was eroding within as a result of, well, it's not infidelity because you weren't married, but basically as you went through the marital acts prior to marriage and without that commitment being there. And that is a, um, that's something that, you know, I want to thank you for, for kind of putting it into a different context because have those life experiences and those negative feelings within looking back at it and something that the way that you taught it just never presented to me coming up and whether or not I would have listened to you when I was 16 or not is a hard, totally different question but um, but just to put the information out there to try to have us learn how to teach teach another generation so I want the I wanted to start off by by thanking you and and kind of going with the question of how can we teach this better um, mm. so that that 40% doesn't become 60% of children born out of marriage. Well, well, thanks, Joe, for being so receptive and for asking the questions and giving me a chance to explain and then also sharing it with our, our listeners over the podcast. I think, I think we trusted the church's teaching for a long time and the alternatives weren't that great and the birth control pill presented a seemingly new technology or a new approach that raised some questions 
and then combined with a number of cultural factors and we had this whole cultural sexual revolution and I think the actually in in the teaching and today as a matter of fact is the anniversary of the promulgation of Humanae Vitae or tomorrow is uh, Feast of St. Anne, July 26th. Anyway, um, we had in the teaching on uh, birth control by Pope Paul VI, he said that to really explain this, we need an adequate human anthropology, uh, an adequate anthropology. And it was John Paul II who produced that adequate anthropology really as a direct response to Pope Paul VI's request. And that adequate anthropology, he was ready to publish, and then he was elected pope. Mm. <laughs> and he then had this book, literally a complete book. And he didn't know exactly how to publish a book as a pope. He figured that out later on. But at the outset, he thought, well, I'll give this as part of my teaching. And so he broke it up into Wednesday audiences. And those audiences... Uh, were, have been collected together and called the theology of the body now. And I think that teaching, as uh, George Weigel has said, it's a, a theological time bomb. It, it really is, is starting to take hold in more areas of the church. There's more awareness. Theology of the body is a kind of catchphrase that uh, people are putting, getting their hands around a little bit more. There's a lot of teaching there. And some people like Christopher West and a number of others have done a great work to popularize that and to help show us the connections and do the same kind of thing that you and I were able to do in the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think it is a great uh, way to understand human sexuality. Pope John Paul II essentially produced more official church teaching on human sexuality than the other 20 centuries of the church combined. Wow. And so we've got a lot to work with and all of that continues to unfold in our time. Pope Francis gave us a beautiful teaching in The Joy of Love, Morris Laetitia, on love in, in family and marriage, his uh, recent apostolic exhortation. And there's, a, there's just a lot of good teaching that's starting to emerge, but actually getting that into the hearts and minds of people and making some of the cultural shifts is, uh, is really important. Because the kinds of statistics that you pointed out, Joe, the number of single parents, and, and the period of time that you identify between 65 and 70 is right around the time that the birth control pill came out. So yeah. in other words, on the birth control pill, there were suddenly a, a huge increase in single parents. Well, shouldn't that have been the opposite? Isn't that the point? And as we look at the impact of the birth control pill and abortion over the past 50 years, even with the capacity to prevent the conception of children by artificial means, and the capacity to end the lives of those children in utero, we still have even more single parents now than we did in 1965. So clearly something has not gone according to plan. And then understanding why those things would be, and, and in fact, Pope Paul VI anticipated all of this. He said that the impact of the birth control pill would be more single parents, would be more marital infidelity, would be less marital satisfaction, and an increase in abortion. And uh, so more divorce, in other words, and an increase in divorcion, uh, abortion. And mm -hmm. all of those things have come true. Pope Paul VI really demonstrated himself prophetic in making that claim in Humanae Vitae. So, so anyway, 
we're in a, a time of great confusion, and the more that we can do to have a clear understanding of why we have these teachings and how they are, in fact, for our good, not just sort of arbitrary things to limit human freedom and happiness, is uh, is just a huge benefit. So, yes, and and that gets me to the next question, um, kind of looking at the generation of now that, that that would be going through that, and one of the things that is painfully clear is that they live in their phones and I mean I'm using my cousins as examples but their entire realm doesn't know how to communicate the same way that definitely their grandparents didn't and in all probability that their parents didn't at their time you know this whole concept that it took five minutes to get a text back from someone and that four and a half minutes was the most scariest time in someone's life is mind-boggling to me. It's like, just call them then. But with that concept kind of sinking in, being continual, that doesn't seem healthy. This um, 140-character world we live in with Twitter and, you know, putting all your pictures up constantly on the internet, and it just seems like a problem to... A, short attention spans, which is a totally side story, but with this instant needing answers now, seems like it's an accelerant upon that problem of instant answer right now. And people were talking about instant gratification being a problem when I was a kid 20 years ago, not 20 years ago, but 15 years ago. Now with now, with you can push a button and get all the information instantly, it seems like the problem is just exponentially grown. Yeah, Pope Benedict XVI wrote a message for the World Day of Communications on silence back in 2012, I believe. And he pointed out the flood of information and a complete lack of space to process it. Mm -hmm. And so we have all of this information that we can get instantaneously, but we never take it in and really reflect on it. And I think of that, as you mentioned, human relationships and communication. It takes time to take those things in. Just think about an experience. Actually, I, I was just in Rome for a couple of weeks and had a, a series. I mean, every day was so full. I was with 120 other priests who do the same ministry and seminary formation that I do and had so many rich encounters with them. And it was just Nonstop. Now we have times for, for prayer. We made a holy hour together. We offered mass together. We prayed the liturgy of the hours together. And then I had all of these days of seeing different churches and taking little times for prayer and making a couple of day trips. Anyway, I, I ended up getting stuck because of uh, mechanical failures on the plane. I ended up with an extra 48 hours thanks to American Airlines. And hmm. I discovered in that extra day that it gave me the time I needed to process. I hadn't actually scheduled that in, and this is a sign of how I'm a product of the same generation that we're talking about, mm -hmm. and the same qualities, the technology influence in the world that we're talking about, but having that extra day, which was slowed down, I didn't have so many things going on, I took lengthier periods of time for prayer and reflection, actually really helped me to consolidate some of what I experienced to go through that and feel it again, to feel some of the excitement, look at some of the possibilities that I saw, feel uh, some of the 
profound experiences of repentance and conversion that I had in prayer in, in Assisi, for example, and different spiritual encounters and personal encounters, and we just need time to process all of that. And the sort of instantaneous communication without any space or time leads to a, a real disease of superficiality. And, and I think it's connected to the point that you made about contraception, too, because we want the quick fix. And the idea that building a relationship, saying no to ourselves, allowing love to really uh, grow and be cultivated without plunging into sexual relationships and without just stimulating ourselves in excessive ways, that we need time and space for things to really develop. And that's a, a, an area that our society is, is really lacking now. Yeah, and it seems that you know, everyone wants to be out there putting content out there, but never really actually pays attention to who's listening, which ends up forcing two extremes. You know, you have people who the only thing you actually see and listen to are the, the loudest and the most crazy because they're the ones that they get all the views, which they view as the success and me being the person who's releasing the content. So it's a victory if I have more people following me on Twitter or my Facebook post gets more likes and by just being more and more to an extreme whether it's accurate factually based or whatever is is the real only way you can do that if your end goal is to get the most popularity on the internet but at the end of the day the internet, that's so superficial and unrealistic that it doesn't matter um, and, and that seems to be just like I said, just seems to be adding to what potentially can be the problem. Just kind of looking at this realistically, you're the one who mentioned before that priests are the only people who are good at preparing people for marriage because you do it all the time. And in that being said, to have that skill, you have to see how humans process and work together all the time. And seeing this inevitable fact that extremism doesn't work in relationships virtually ever in terms of a long-term prosperous situation and you know I don't know how to to direct that and how to to help with that situation aside from just not giving the kid a cell phone you know what what is the answer it's not like you can take a computer away from them. I mean half my business is driven on that so you know, there is a positive to this, but the the negativity of of it just seems to be worse. And it also seems to be negative breeding grounds for just one little thing goes off. And because everyone gets to the extremes, content just shrivels up. You know, we used to have articles that were in-depth solutions. Now we have, you know, five-second snippets about what someone might think. You know, it's it's just completely different and ultimately I would say not beneficial. So thought there. Yeah. And I think that uh there's there's a growing awareness among parents of the importance of at least taking away technology from children at a certain point. I was edified the last time I visited my brother that he and his wife have a end of technology point in the day that the kids have to put their cell phones 
in a basket. Now their kids are all, you know, later teens, mm -hmm. but uh, and anyway, they at whatever it is, nine o'clock at night or something, it's technology off, no more cell phone. You put it in the basket. You don't get it again until the morning. And just creating that kind of space on a daily basis helps someone to disconnect and to start processing internally instead of constantly craving the external stimulation. And I think having things like a, a fast day from the cell phone or, you know, to make that a Friday activity that for several hours or for the whole day or whatever, we disconnect ourselves from some of that rapid fire stimulation of uh, communication and content and allow ourselves some space to process, to disconnect and to plug into to people and, and relationships in a more human and more direct way. So anyway, those kinds of things I start to see moving into a cultural awareness and a cultural response to that tendency to, to stimulation and superficiality that's happening because of technology. Yeah, I, I guess that's the question, is, is how do we get that message across where it's, you know, th that's actually a really good idea that, that I think that should be more common. The, the, it has to be turned off at a certain point. Um, that's really, really good idea, thinking about how much time you stay awake and and the fact that after looking at a screen, just physically looking at a screen, it's harder to fall asleep thereafter um, just because your mind isn't, because your vision was going crazy, and let alone what you were thinking about from it. And, uh, yeah, that, that's just a completely different side story there. Yeah. And I know uh, some youth retreats and things like that, they'll just, at the beginning of the weekend, say, put your cell phone in your in your basket. You know, your parents have my number, and they can call me the chaperone if there's an emergency, but you, you can be disconnected. You can be plugged out. And when I offer retreats here at St. Vincent, especially silent retreats or at St. Emma's, um, I, I tell people, I invite people, you know, turn your cell phone off. Tell Tell the people who need to know what the emergency number is and then turn your cell phone off. And if we're honest about it, you know, how often do we need the emergency number really? Mm -hmm. How many times? Once in a lifetime? Zero times in a lifetime? Mm -hmm. Was there a need for that? You know, that couldn't wait for a day or anyway. Even if you have to have an emergency number, there's always another way around that. And the more that we can just take time to disconnect and feel that. Let ourselves feel things and let them percolate a little bit and uh, get into our bones, into our soul, and not just skim along the surface all the time. That's a uh, that's a really good point you just made about you know you you think that everything is the most important center of the world right now thing, and then you look back five minutes later and you forgot what you're talking about because ultimately it's irrelevant. <laughs> of course, it also so might be due, due to memory loss too. But <laughs> sorry. You know, there's a there's a great book that was published uh, decades, uh, 30 years ago, called "Amusing Ourselves to Death," and it's by a, a communications professor. He's deceased now, although the book has been republished and with a foreword by his son, I believe, to kind of update for. It was published 20 years later. It's published in 1985 mm -hmm. uh, by Neil Postman, and he talks about the impact of media on the human person, on the way that... We, and his proposal is looking at the dominant medium and the effect that that has on the culture and on the individual. 
and he's not even making a better worse comparison although he, he his bias against uh, television really comes through and the things he identifies about television are even more true for a lot of our technology now the the medium of cell phones the internet apps twitter text messaging all of these kinds of things but he basically says that the medium of television so not even talking about the content but the medium of television is geared toward entertainment that that's what television is really good at mm -hmm. and then the problem becomes when we push everything through television so we push education through television news through mm -hmm. television politics through television even religion through television when we try to fit those contents into that medium they all take on the quality of entertainment. And then by taking on the quality of entertainment, it reduces all of those really important uh, things to superficiality. So you no longer have a substantial news uh, story, you have entertainment. You turn news into entertainment. You, don't, you no longer have real presidential debates, you have entertainment and so you, exactly you reduce everything you know, you to the uh, yeah you reduce everything to the medium of entertainment and, and he uh, he contrasts to the Lincoln Douglas debates he says in the middle of the 19th century we really had a text-based culture and there was no more text-based culture than in the United States we had we published more books and we had a higher percent of literacy than any other nation in the world mm -hmm. and so the height of a text-based culture was in the 19th century America and in the middle of 19th century America, the presidential debates, the po politics, were uh, exemplified by the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And even before they were running for a major, for governor, or for a president, the, even at a, a level of a local office, Lincoln-Douglas debates lasted for hours. They would have an hour discourse and then an hour rebuttal. And then people would like take a little a food break and then come back for another hour and another hour of content which was fashioned after the form of text in full paragraphs, in full expressions, in clear ideas, in organized material. And their responses were that way, even spontaneously, because they were really formed by this medium of the written text. And the contrast of that is the television, mm -hmm. where you really want sound bites, where you want rapid movement, the standard in television is to not hold a picture for more than two and a half seconds then and to not have a conver and a conversation has one person talking at a time for no more than 15 seconds contrast that to an hour discourse and an hour response in the Lincoln Douglas debates now the expectation is 15 seconds because if you're not trying to take in content like you would a book and you're trying to take in entertainment then it can't last too long and it keeps stimulating a very superficial just the frontal cortex of our minds and really shuts down more analytical reasoning and and deeper thought and so the the stimulation the entertainment stimulation of television just reduces everything to entertainment and of course again his whole focus in the book amusing ourselves to death is on television we just have that in spades with the, the internet, there's a, a little difference in the medium, but if we start to think about the impact that it has when we push everything through a particular medium, how that adjusts the content to fit the medium, then we start to see how we have to break out of that. 
that's uh, the internet and apps and cell phones and all of that can't sustain the kind of content that we need to really function as a society. Yeah, it's like eating cookies nonstop. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. Exactly. You like the taste of it at first, but eventually you're gonna wake up 400 pounds and not be able to do anything. Really regret that you did, that you did. And uh, amen, amen. So w with that being said, you know, thankfully, I mean. I think that, that Teresa and I, for the most part, are kind of uh, kind of insulated from that. She doesn't have any of the social media stuff. I hardly use it. I, in fact, I only use it to advertise my business. So I'm not using it in the same context as, as the majority. But I guess that that's the, the the thing is is we recognize that it's out there and that it's not going to go away and how to kind of figure out how to help other people to get to that path. I guess that's ultimately the question that, that we're trying to get to, get back to the fact that people aren't getting married, and, and I think that this whole conversation about the way we communicate is a big part of that. You know, you have, if you just go into the place of someone who's single in, in their 20s or whatever, you know, they have theoretically either training to get a job or a job they have all of this internet stuff going around all this instant satisfaction and then the belief that there's no consequences on the sexual side because of all the contraception technology it almost inevitably has to be the way that it's going and it almost seems like a like to try to stop the internet would be like trying to stop a river you're just jumping in the middle of the Mississippi with a little stick and trying to make it not work. It's going to happen, but how to curve it in the direction that can be beneficial is, I guess, the uh, the question. Well, I think the important thing is to recognize that it's happening and the impact that it's having on us and to reflect on that like we're doing now. I think it's a fruitful discussion, and I don't claim to be the foremost expert or to have the last word on any of this. I would encourage any of our listeners to take time discussing that question. What impact does the medium of the internet or of apps on a phone, of Twitter, of text messaging, what, what impact does that have? And just to reflect on it, I think, is a good starting point to discuss it. And then I think that quality of instantaneousness, instantaneity, anyway, uh, uh, of, of instant response, instant gratification, instant satisfaction. I think it's a big deal. That's even more so than television. I don't think television had quite the same quality. You waited for particular shows. You couldn't get next week's show this week. You couldn't get all the reruns you wanted to see. There was some waiting involved. So I don't think that it stimulated the same kind of waiting problem that we have now where we've really eliminated waiting. I mean, even with Netflix now replacing television, mm -hmm. You don't have to wait for anything. You can binge watch 15 shows in a row. You can watch a whole season in an evening. You can, uh, as you said earlier, if you have a question, you can look it up and find the answer right away. And of course, there's something wonderful about that. We shouldn't just be negative old curmudgeons to hate everything new or something like that. But just recognizing what impact that has, it, it reduces our capacity for waiting. And there are things that need to be waited for overcoming everything that takes time 
is not an ultimate perfection of technology and human advancement. Development takes time and growth takes time. And we know that it's something essential about being human that we live in the context of time. And so learning to respect that and appreciate that. And so removing some of the instantaneous things from our life, even for a period of time, just to force us to wait for a period of time can be very helpful. I know some of the volunteer missionary organizations like FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, or St. Paul's Outreach, or the Culture Project, or um, some of those kinds of young adults missionary opportunities, a lot of them have a one-year dating fast. Just turn it off for a year. Turn off the possibility, turn off the searching, turn off the scanning, turn off the flirting, turn, just turn it off for a year. Let yourself be in that space of dating free. And it's amazing this the young people experience the impact of that, to wait for a year and to know that they're waiting for a year. Just to force ourselves to slow down and wait a little bit more would be a great way to develop some of our human capacities and spiritual capacities. Hmm. That's a really good idea that I'd never heard of before. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to that. You know, they always talk about how it's how it's a race, especially for girls. So they mature faster, so they need a you know race to get to this desire of having some elementary school boyfriend, which everyone knows isn't going to work. But yet, there's people out there who encourage their kids to do it, and it makes no sense to me. Yeah, it seems like we do a lot of making decisions for what's easiest right now without a lot of looking at the long term and that seems to be something that from one of the, the prior casts you, you mentioned try to look into a saint and try to figure out what's going on with them and I'm yet to narrow it down on one specifically but one of the ones that themes I caught from aside from the becoming one with God subconsciously about a couple casts ago was that they all kind of have a way of simmering it down and focusing on what is important on the long haul with some degree of denying the self today. And that's part of what we'll be discussing here in our next cast. So Father, I definitely want to thank you for, for having this conversation about communication and, and the pitfalls it can lead into and, and trying to figure out a way to stop this 40% there and try to take it back closer down to 5% as far as unwed mothers and try to uh, to get it going in the right direction. So I thank you, Father, for, for having us in this conversation, and I thank everyone out there for listening. Hope you guys have a great week, and we'll be back next week.